0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Hawkins Adventures podcast. I'm Will Hawkins and this podcast is all about outdoor fun and adventure. If you're wondering who I am, I'm a former soldier, I've been a professional yacht crew and I've cycled down Africa. In this episode I'm going to cover canoeing and wild camping in Sweden and you'll hear about the latest piece of outdoor gear I've been trying out the Power Plus and light solar rechargeable torches made by Wacker Wacker. Also, I'm going to talk to you about a great outdoor book called The Adventurer's Guide to Britain. Plus, I'll cover my outdoor website of the week, The Uk. And to finish up, it's another adventure traveling memory about one moment cycling through the Sahara Desert in Algeria. Right, let's get on with it. You may never have considered Sweden as a holiday destination, let alone a country for a summer adventure. Yet my family and I have lasting memories of an adventure we had in Sweden, which included canoeing and wild camping in a nature reserve for five days. In the middle of Sweden, on the border with Norway, there's a nature reserve called the Rogan. It's 120,000 acres of low hills, long lakes, mountains and rivers. It's packed with wildlife, including reindeer, beavers, eagles, ospreys, wolverines and fish. The Rogan Nature Reserve is perfect for canoe holidays, which is what we decided to do. Penny, who's my wife, and I booked cheap flights to Stockholm Scavster Airport for the four of us, and packed a rucksack each in late July to set off. In Sweden, we picked up a small hard car and headed north, stopping for one night on our way up to a ski lodge near the small town Funnesdalen, The next day we headed into Funnersdalen to buy supplies and to go to the outdoor shop where we'd booked canoes and the cooking equipment we couldn't carry on the flight. Soon enough we were in their transit van with a canoe on a trailer behind being taken to the drop off point for our five day adventure. On the way the driver said it was not a good idea to break a leg in the nature reserve. The nearest emergency helicopter was about four hours away and that was before we would have got a message out of the place. At the drop-off point, we then carried our canoes and equipment in five trips through the forest to the edge of the first lake. At the time, our children, Emily and Turby were 13 and 11 respectively. That was old enough to help out, but not to carry a canoe between them. It was hard work on the rocky path and planks over the marshes, but it was worth it. The view of the lake was beautiful and the terrain was stunning. We pushed off into the lake and began paddling into the crystal clear water. The water is so clear here that you can drink it straight out of the lake, and we did. We needed it after the first carry or portage. A few kilometres later, and towards the end of the first lake, we decided to camp on a small island for the night. The island was about 50 metres long and about 20 metres wide, with a few small trees on it. We set up our tents and got our food on the go. The sunset that evening was stunning. It looked like the sky was on fire. It was only spoiled by the midges which came out from the trees. We had to don our headnets and cover up. Despite that, it was the only time we had a problem with them on the trip. The next morning, we broke camp and headed to the next portage point. We carried our canoes and gear along another rocky track to two boat sheds overlooking another picturesque freshwater lake. We paddled off and canoed through an area of small islands taking in the scenery. The four of us had not seen much wildlife, let alone other people by now, but we soon to seen signs of both. At the following portage, the track to the next setting off point was at the bottom of a steeper path. I decided to attempt pulling the canoes down a small waterfall instead by myself. I managed it but it was harder than I imagined and I nearly tipped out some of our equipment. We pushed off again and headed down on a river which led to Lake Rogan. On the way we passed a beaver's lodge but saw no dams. After a kilometre or so we came to the lake and decided to head south to find a place to camp. We camped around a headland on a flat area near an inlet. Opposite were two fishermen who happened to be British. The four of us decided to stay here for two nights, it was a great spot. We swam in the lake, fished with no luck, and walked through the surrounding forest. Many of the fallen trees are thousands of years old. A little further north on the lake shore is a warden's hut where you can buy basic supplies and stay. We paddled up there on the second day and said hello to the warden who is there for the summer. There are no roads to the hut, so supplies have to be brought in by other means. At night, we heard noises outside our tents. This turned out to be reindeer walking through our camp. It was wonderful waking up, poking our heads out of our tents. To see the reindeer walking by. When it was time to leave we made our way back the way we had come up the river. We had two more nights left in the nature reserve and camped on another small island for the first night. There we spotted an osprey. We paddled back up the same lakes and carried our canoes and gears back to the start point in the car park. When our driver arrived he dropped off a group of Brits in their twenties who were heading off for a ten day trip into Norway in canoes. If you decide to do a canoeing and wild camping trip to Sweden, make sure you are fit and prepared to live simply it is a physical adventure. You have to carry everything in and everything out, leaving no rubbish. Water is abundant and clean, but you may not like the fact that going to the loo relies on you digging a hole in the ground and covering up your waste. It was a great trip and one which our children still talk about as one of the best holidays they've ever had. Nevertheless, after five days of wild camping, we were ready for a hot shower and sauna. Find out more about this trip in this episode's podcast notes or on my website at whawkins.uk. Now it's gear review time and it's all about solar power and light. Let's face it, if you have a smartphone you probably think about how long its power lasts when you are out in the hills and you are likely to use your smartphone occasionally as a torch. Either way, if you use your smartphone a lot during the day for navigation, taking photos or videos for example, you will drain the power quickly. One solution is to carry a power bank to charge your smartphone. Or you could take a torch with you when you go camping to see where you've dropped your smartphone and save its power. It's not expensive to buy batteries for torches. It's a challenge to keep your smartphone charged when you're out and about and unable to connect to the mains. Here's one solution. How about using solar energy to charge your smartphone or torches? You can do it with two solar-powered torches from a Dutch company called Wacker Wacker. I have two of their torches, the aptly named Light and the Power Plus. The Wacka Wacka light is about the size of a standard smartphone and weighs next to nothing, so you won't notice it in your backpack. It takes about 8 hours of sunshine to charge it and apparently lasts up to 40 hours on its dimmest setting. I have not tested that claim yet. When it's charging a small green LED flashes to let you know it's working. On its front is a solar panel. On the back are two LED lights and a big rubberized power button. You press the button once to turn it on to its brightest setting, press it again for a dimmer setting and keep doing that for a dimmer light until you eventually turn it off. To be honest, the Wacka Wacka Light has not been good at holding its charge. I left it out to charge all day in the sun only for it to run out within minutes. That's a shame because it promised to be so much more. The better of the two Wacka Wacka Solar Pad Torches is the Power Plus. The Wacka Wacka Power Plus is a solar Pad torch and a power bank. It's a little bigger, thicker and heavier than the Light, but it weighs less than my smartphone and is much better. I took the Power Plus away to Greece for two weeks and use it while travelling and sailing. I charge up my smartphone with it and use it as a lamp at night when playing cards. During the day I strap the Power Plus to a stay on the boat to charge it up. I charge my smartphone from around 4% power to 80% with the Power Plus which I had left in the sun for 6 hours. I've looped some cord through the slot on its top so I can now hang it easily on my backpack to charge during the day. Out of the two, the Wacka Powerplus Power Plus is the best. It's more useful than Waka Wacker Lite and is more flexible in how you charge it. For anyone who spends time off-grid, I'd recommend the Power Plus. It comes in yellow or black and the retail price is 69.95 in euros. On Amazon UK it's 59.99. You may find it cheaper elsewhere. My outdoor website of the week is all about navigation. Learning how to navigate across the ground is a vital outdoor skill. Learning how to interpret a map, appreciating time, distance and direction are important components of navigation. But navigation can feel daunting to novices. In my army days, I used to get lost a lot, which my soldiers didn't appreciate. I got lost on exercise in Kenya and the UK alike, but I learnt the hard way and became a better navigator. i now enjoy it, and that's why I like the Ultimate Navigation School website. It's a charity which helps novices, hillwalkers, and mountain rescue teams learn how to safely find their way around in the great outdoors. They run beginner to advanced level courses, night navigation courses, and courses using GPS or SATNAV systems. Plus, they have the specialist courses for emergency services and the military. The Ultimate Navigation School runs their courses all over the UK from the Scottish borders down to Exmoor in the southwest. A weekend foundation course costs £175, accommodation is extra and the school recommends a good place to stay near each course location where you'll get a special room rate. To find their website type in ultimatenavigationschool.co.uk It's outdoor book review time. My book this episode is The Adventurer's Guide to Britain. 150 incredible experiences on land and water by Jen and Sim Benson. If you need ideas for what and where to go for outdoor activities, this book is for you. Split up into regions, Jen and Simon pick out 150 adventurous activities from hiking Hadrian's Wall to kayaking around the Isle of Mull to mountain biking the Longmind in Shropshire. As well as a description of each experience, the guide provides a challenge level of up to 5 stars for the most challenging, A start point using a grid reference and which ordnance survey maps to use. Plus they give suggestions on where to stay and other local highlights. The authors illustrate each experience with a photograph or a rough map of the route or trail too. It's a super book and one which I'll be sampling over the next year. I've already planned in some hiking, kayaking and mountain biking experiences using the book. The Adventurer's Guide to Britain is published by Bloomsbury with a retail price of £16.99. However, you can buy it on Amazon for under £11, including delivery. Here's my adventure memory for this episode. In late 1991, I was in the Sahara Desert with my brother Dan. We were in Tamanrasset, an oasis town in southern Algeria. We were getting ready to cross the bit of the desert where there was no road south to Niger. Just a series of concrete posts marking the piece to the border. Dan and I had stayed for one night in a campsite in the town which was packed with fellow travellers. Some were in Land Rovers, others on motorbikes or in old army lorries. I was recovering from a stomach bug. After a couple of days, when I felt better, we decided to go on a tour out into the desert to the Hogger Mountains. It was a rough track out there and we bumped along in the four-wheel drive vehicle out to a small settlement in the mountains. We'd heard there was a French priest living alone in the mountains. Our tour guides were taking him supplies. Dan and I arrived at the settlement where we went to a house which was to be our hostel for the night. We ate dinner and went to bed. The next morning we got up before sunrise, had a light breakfast and made a way up a hill behind us. It was perhaps the most memorable sunrise I have ever seen and it was well worth the money to see it. At the top, the guide told us to find somewhere comfortable to sit and to wait for the sunrise. As the sun began to rise, we could see it behind the Hogger Mountains to our front. It was spectacular. The colours which shone through were stunning. The mountains are barren and rocky, but they looked beautiful. A little later, we went to meet the priest. He was friendly and happy to see us. He showed us around his house, which was built into the side of the rocky hill. His house was simple, but clean and civilised. He made us welcome and told us a little about his life out there in the desert. Today, unfortunately, the Foreign Office advises against travelling to much of Algeria because of the threat of terrorism. We saw the beginnings of Islamic fundamentalism, witnessing some street protests. Later on, in Niger, we met travellers who'd been held up in the desert by bandits and had everything but what they stood up stolen by them. Nevertheless, the Sahara and the Hogger Mountains are an experience which I'll never forget. Right, that's it the end of the second episode of Hawkins Adventures. Look in the notes below to find links to the gear, book and website I mentioned. Please do send your feedback, follow and add this podcast as a favourite if you enjoyed it and send any questions you may have for me. You can contact me through my website, whawkins.uk. In the next episode, I'll be talking about the Dark Peak Challenge, a walking challenge in the Peak District. Plus, I'll review another outdoor book, more equipment and recall an adventure memory from Cameroon. Thank you again for listening. Find my website at whawkins.uk and I look forward to hearing from you.